0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we're so glad you chose to hang out with us today. Uh, recently, I had to make a decision on my 13-year-old Chrysler Town & Country van. And the decision was basically this. Do I repair it, or do I shoot it? Okay? Ha- have you ever been there before with a vehicle before? You're not really sure what to do, and so you've got to make Some kind of decision. Now, this decision for me was very complicated because it runs great, but it has 203,000 miles on it. And I wasn't too sure uh, how much I would have to put into it to continue to make it go. And uh, the reality is, too, it's paid for. Like, I don't have any car payments whatsoever. It's all paid for. But there are a few issues that had to be addressed. There's an oil leak. There's some rust. uh, There's some other kind of suspension issues that I was going to have to work with to try to figure out what to do with this car. And so the decision was a little bit more complicated than what I thought. Now, uh, the question then became, am I going to keep it or am I going to Shoot it. What am I going to do? Do I go ahead and do I keep the van and do I nurse it along a little bit more and it continues to go on and hopefully it doesn't die? And maybe in that experience of having faith in this vehicle, I would grow closer to Jesus. Or should I go ahead and buy a better car? And hopefully that would be the wise decision. So I wasn't really sure what to do. So I talked to a buddy of mine who's a mechanic and I asked him to go ahead and to look at it. And he's very detail oriented. So he looked at everything and then he gave me this list of things that he thought should be repaired so that it would be safe. And then he said, look at the list. Tell me what you think. And then he told me these words. He said, I think if you do these things, it will last two to three years. But there's no guarantees, Chris. But let me know what you decide. Ah, Don't you hate that when a mechanic tells you that? Let me know what... No, you decide for me. I don't want to make the decision. You decide. You know... Making a decision can be very complicated, can't it? And sometimes the decisions we have, depending on how weighty they are, they can bring a lot of anxiety into each of our lives. It can be filled with anxiety. What are we supposed to do? We've been talking about anxiety over the last three weeks, but today I want to talk about it in reference to decision-making. Now, it might be like a car, like I said, or for some of you, it might be your job. Do I stay in my job or do I go look for something else? Do I go ahead and keep renting the house that I'm at or do I think about buying it? If you're a student, maybe the question is, should I go to college or should I go to trade school or some other type of alternative school? For some of you who are single, but you're dating a guy right now, you might be dating the guy, but he doesn't commit. And all of your friends say, hey, this is Mr. Non-Commit. And so do you stay with him or do you kind of count your losses and get rid of him? And maybe hopefully the guy at work who's a Christian who you know is a godly person might finally one day hear from heaven what you've been praying that he would pay attention to you. And he would come on, like, what is the decision that you're going to make? Because many times, we just don't know. I mean, decision-making can be complicated, can it? And for me, at least, it always raises the anxiety in my life. By the way, just wanted to let you know that I went ahead and I got the van repaired. And uh, I don't have a big payment that I have to pay for a car. But I know for some of you, you get very anxious when I tell stories and I don't tell you the end of the story. So I want to put your anxiety down so you're not freaking out about that. You know, today, the truth is this, though. I think some of you are at a crossroads right now. And you have a decision to make. It might be a big decision, it might be a little decision, it may be something in the middle. But each of you have some decision to make. And you're feeling the anxiety of it. And you're feeling the worry about it. Again, for me, my anxiety kicks in the most when the decision's there and I've got to decide what I'm going to do. And it always creates a lot of complications in my life. Why is that? Why is it? Why is it that we get so anxious around decision-making? And in particular, why is decision-making so complicated? Why is it that making decisions are so complicated for you and me? Well, let me give you a couple reasons this morning. The first is this, because we have way too many decisions. We have way too many choices to make. Um, You know, many times, uh, I think what happens is we think that if we have a lot of choices, then it'll make the decision easier. Like a lot of choices, you can just make a choice very quickly. But that's not the case, is it? Typically, the more choices we have, the more anxious we get. For example, for those of you who have a streaming uh, device of some kind where you're watching movies... Netflix and Amazon have thousands of shows to watch. And you get on there. Have you ever done this before? You start looking at them. You're like, well, that looks good. That looks good. And pretty soon you've spent a half hour and you haven't made a choice. Why? Because there are way too many choices. But if you go to the movie theater, there's only seven movies that are showing. And you can make a choice very quickly. Why is that? Why is that? Because the limited choices drive you to make a decision. This past week I was reading some research in which they said that the average child makes 5,000 decisions a day, but the average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. And I started thinking to myself, I wish I was a kid again. You know, like, who wants to make all of these decisions? It just gets so overwhelming to be able to have to do that. And every time we make a decision, it increases the anxiety level in our lives. It's kind of like this. Sometimes I'm asked by other churches to come and to teach. And uh, when they ask me to come to teach, if they say this, Oh, just pick anything you want. You know what that does to me? Freaks me out! Like what are you talking about? That's like tons of this. I don't even know. But if they give me a topic, if they give me a subject, I know exactly. Oh, okay, now I can narrow it down, and I don't feel so anxious because so many choices just complicates things even more. Another reason why decision making can be very uh, difficult uh, and can be complicated is because we're afraid that we're going to make a costly mistake. We're afraid that we're actually going to make a costly mistake. In spiritual terms, it's kind of like this. Have you ever had this before where you're praying or you're asking God and you don't hear anything and you don't sense anything and you start getting really, really worried that I'm going to make the wrong decision? That I'm not going to be a part of God's will. I'm not going to be a part of his plan. I'm not going to be a part of the purpose that he wants. And you start freaking out and you're like, but I want to be in his will. I want to be uh, able to fulfill his purpose. But I'm not sure what that is. Example, if you're single, uh, some of you that are single would be kind of like this. I've got to have the exact one person in my life. I don't know who that is, but I've got to pick the special one. Isn't that what they always say? I want to pick the special one. And if you're sitting in the balcony right now, you might be like, yeah, that's me. I I need the special one. But the problem is you're in the balcony and the special one might be down here at the bottom in the auditorium. So then you're like, well, what should I do? Don't jump out of the balcony right now, people. Okay, don't do that. That's not good. But seriously, many times we kind of have that sense, not only if we're thinking about who we want to date or be with or marry one day, but we have that with many areas of our life. What if I don't choose the right thing? What if I don't choose the right one? Folks, we often have a fear of missing out, that it's going to be a costly mistake, that we're afraid we're going to mess up in some way. And the reason we do this is because many of us go through life with what I call don't want us. We we go through our life and we're constantly saying, well, I don't want to let that person down. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to make a poor choice. I don't want to let God down. And we constantly are living in that sense of don't want us. And the decision making comes and we feel more anxious. So for the rest of our time, what I want to do is try to help you to reduce some anxiety and decision making. By helping you to not be as overwhelmed or overcome by doing it. I don't want decision making in your life to be so over the top that you panic every time a decision comes to your path. And the way we're going to do that is by looking at a passage of scripture in Acts 15. And in particular, we're going to kind of create a foundation that I think will be helpful. Now, Acts is a book in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, and Acts is simply the Acts of the early church, how the early church kind of functioned and formed. And what I want to do is to help reduce some of the anxiety for you by giving you a simple kind of uh, principle. But it's kind of our big idea this morning, and here it is. You can write this down if you want or put it in your app on the uh, outline. And it's this, don't complicate it. When you're making a decision, don't complicate it. Don't complicate it more than what it needs to be. In fact, for those of you that are on the stream right now, what I'd like you to do is type in, don't complicate it. Go ahead, type it in. Now, for those of you who are here at the auditorium, in the auditorium, I want you to look to the person beside you, wake them up if you have to, and just tell them, Don't complicate it. Go ahead. Tell them. Okay, so don't complicate it. So let me give you a little background to Acts 15. In Acts 15, the early uh, church folks were there and the leaders of the early church were having to deal with some really complicated issues. You see, Jesus was Jewish and all of his disciples were Jewish But when they started the church, they no longer were just Jewish. They were Christian now, and they were reaching out to people that were not in Israel. They were called Gentiles or people who were non-Jewish people, and they often believed in pagan worship. They believed in worshiping multiple gods, and they would actually take meat that they would have, and they would dedicate it to these pagan gods. And so there were three leaders that had to make a decision. What are we going to do with this now? Because the Jewish religion had all of these eating kind of uh, rules or regulations. And now all of a sudden it was different because people were coming into the church that were not Jewish. Now, the three leaders were Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, his mentee, a guy by the name of Barnabas, and then James, who was one of Jesus's closest friends. And now they had to make a decision about what they were going to do about food, meat in particular, that had been offered to these idols, had been dedicated to them. What would they do? Could people eat it? Could they not? What would happen? So that was one of the issues. Now, the second issue was the issue of circumcision. When these Gentiles came in, they had not been circumcised like the Jewish men had been. And so, to be a convert, they had to decide whether or not every single Gentile would have to be circumcised. Whoa! Better not do that. Let me put my hand. Uh, woo, uh, let me put my hands behind my back on this for the next little bit, so I don't show that. Um, but basically, they had to ask the question: Could you be a Christian and not be circumcised? And uh, if you think about it, for me, it's kind of funny. Like membership at the church. Like what if that was one of the things that we said to all the guys that you had to be circumcised. I mean, I can't even get you to, you know, get baptized sometimes. It takes you a long time to do that. But but can you imagine that I'm up here and I'm standing uh, like Paul was and, and we're kind of teaching and we're not sure what to do. And I said, well, if you want to join the church today, if you want to come to Jesus, come on up and get circum- circumcised. You know, some of you would be like, ah, no. Or if you actually did do it, you'd say, yeah, I'm coming to Jesus or I'm coming to Jesus. You know, uh, it might be that. Well, folks, these three guys have these two big issues that they really have to do and, and deal with. And we could look at it and say, well, that's not a big thing. Food And circumcision, no, 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 this was gigantic for the culture that they're in. And they're overwhelmed and they're anxious. And these are theological doctrinal issues that would direct the history of Christianity. And things are very complicated. And these guys are extremely overwhelmed. So, when we get into the text today, there's going to be a phrase that comes that says, Seemed good. And each time that we see that bolded word seem good in this first time that we go through the text, I'd like you to say it out loud. OK, so in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 22, we read this. Then it what? What's the word? It good. Yeah, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. It what? Yeah, seem good to us, having become of one mind to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul for it. What? Yes, seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. In other words, folks, they wanted to simplify things. The Jewish law had 614 laws within it. And they wanted to reduce it for Christianity so that people weren't so overwhelmed by all the legalism of having to do that. And what they did was they didn't want to raise a banner. They wanted to simplify it. They didn't want to raise any barrier to invite people from following Christ. It just seemed good. Now. What do you do when you don't know what to do? In other words, what do you do when Scripture doesn't specifically address the issue that you're dealing with? Well, you could take this text and I could continue to teach and say, well, just do what seemed good. Like whatever seems good, that's what you should do. The problem is, is that there are other Scriptures that... Give us some balance and say, no, you just can't do that. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs, we're given a text that says something else. In Proverbs 14, it says this. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of... What's the last word? Death. Now, it seems right, but it's only going to take you to a bad place. So... How could both of these scriptures be true? Because the reality is, it seems like they contradict each other. Well, let's start with the Old Testament passage first. There's a way that seems right to a person, but at the end, it leads to death. Now, why is that? Well, if you're around the wrong people, and you're listening to the wrong voices and you're living the wrong values, you might be so blinded that you think what you're doing is actually good or is right, but it truly is wrong. Let me say that again. You might be around the wrong crowd of people, and you're listening to voices that aren't godly, but that's the only voices that you're listening to, and then you start living out values that you think are right, but In reality, they're not. What seems what is right sometimes can actually lead you to do something incredibly wrong. What seems right can sometimes actually lead you to do something incredibly wrong. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hands right now, but how many of you have ever been around the wrong crowd before? And you kind of listened to those voices, and pretty soon you started finding your character to look like that. That was like pretty much my whole 20s, you know what I mean? Like, most of my early 20s was that. I was listening to the wrong thing. Now, it seemed right, but it actually was not. And... Isn't that what happens sometimes when we're listening to the wrong voices and we're doing the wrong values and we're with the wrong crowd? What seems right at the time, we look back later and we like, wow, that was incredibly wrong. Now, in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas and James have these decisions of these two issues that they have to take care of. And it's weighty decisions. And they're thinking to themselves, well, let's do what seems right. In fact, Three different times we read that, that it seemed good, it seemed good, it seemed good. So, how could they do what seemed good, what seemed right? Well, this is how. You have to determine what you're focusing on in all of the verses, not just in what seemed good. Let's read some other things that are highlighted here. It says this. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the, what's the next two words? The whole church. It felt like it seemed good to choose some men. In other words, this wasn't just one person who said this is right. This seemed good to the entire church family that was gathering together. Then we read on. It seemed good to us having become of what? What's the next two words? One mind. So it's the whole church. And they're saying we have one mind in this. We are one accord. And then the scripture goes on to say this. For it seemed good to the what? The Holy Spirit. So it's the whole church. They're of one mind. It seems good to the Holy Spirit. And to who? And to us. Not just me, but the Holy Spirit and to each of us. You see, folks, there is a massive difference between something seeming good or right for one person, for one man, for one woman, and for it seeming right for a whole group of people who are committing themselves to God's word and prayer and the whispers of the Holy Spirit. There is a huge difference between the two of those. I mean, they were able to act on what seemed right because the whole church was in one accord in one voice for this. Folks, some of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life were because I made them in isolation. I did not seek the guidance of anyone else, and I did it on my own. I didn't seek godly advice, I just did it on my own. And many times, what those decisions do is they create pain and hurt for the other people around you, and I've experienced that. And it creates a high level of anxiety. You see, folks, when it comes right down to it, the church is not a group of individuals that are sitting, the church is a family. We don't come to church. We are the church. Let me say that again. We don't just come to church. We actually are the church. And the reason why we encourage people to get in small groups is so that you're never alone. That you have people around you who will encourage you, who will build you up. Who will constantly be in your corner and who will even see the blind spots sometimes that you don't see because we all have them. Folks, when you can't decide what to do, my encouragement is that you would find some godly people around you who would give you some godly wisdom. That you would seek Christ, you would seek the church. Don't just sit there and stew about it and get overwhelmed and make the decision so complicated that I'm not even sure what I'm going to do. And you start panicking and you almost can't even uh, do anything. That you actually seek Christ. You seek the church. You seek your small group. And all of a sudden it's not as complicated. Don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. Seek some wisdom from other people. Now. One last thing for us to ask is this. We're we're saying, hey, decision making is complicated. It's hard. It creates anxiety. So then how do we make a decision? I mean, some of you right now have some weighty decisions in your life. How are you going to make the decision? You don't want to do the wrong thing. You want to do the right thing, but you're scared about it. What do you do? And I would encourage you to fill this in real quickly. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what is, seems right. That's what you do. How do you make a decision? You come with a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, and we seek God to do what seems right. You see, folks, God is always good. He's always with us. And when we seek him in prayer, when we seek him in praise for those around us, he will give us clarity. He will give us actually peace to be able to make the decision. It's a little bit like your GPS in your car. Um, Have you ever uh, put the GPS in your car and then all of a sudden it says something like this? Take the next right turn. But... Some of you have different voices. Some of you who are women have the Australian man that goes, take the next right turn, babe. And you're like, "Woo!" And some of you that are guys have the English lady that goes, please take the next right turn, love. And you hear this from the GPS, but have you ever had this experience before where there are two right turns that are really close to each other and it says, take the next right turn and you don't know which one to do. Has anyone been there before? Yeah. And this is what happens. When I'm there and I'm not sure which right turn to take, I always turn to my wife, Jennifer, and I ask her, which one should I take so that if she says the wrong thing, I have somebody to blame. Now, that's not good marriage advice. Don't, don't do that, okay? But sometimes it's really hard to know which right turn to take. And when that happens, and it's really close, we were in Washington, D.C. Uh, recently, and the, the streets are very close. And say, next right turn, I'm, I panicked, I'm overwhelmed. I just take the first one, and then if it's wrong, what do I do? It reroutes. Well, if we have a posture of prayer, and we have a perspective of praise, and we're seeking God, and we're knowing his heart, you know what God does? He reroutes you. Because God is always good. And God works together for our good in all ways because of his great love for you. In other words, I want to tell you this to somebody who might be listening right now. One wrong turn, folks, isn't going to keep you off of God's path. One wrong turn does not keep you from God's path. And here's the good news, the very, very good news. Our good God has a way... Of doing good things, even out of wrong turns. Let me say that again. Our good God is able to do good things, even out of wrong turns. You see, God just has a GPS that he's telling you, well, even if you take the wrong turn, I'll reroute, rerouting, rerouting to get you back to where you need to be. Today, some of you are at a decision point right now and you are overwhelmed and you are anxious to the max. And the weight of it is weighing you down and you're overwhelmed and you don't have a peace of mind. And our scripture, this whole series has been telling us the way you find peace is by doing this. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity for some of you to experience the peace of God. Because some of you right now are in a place where... You're overwhelmed by a decision and you need some help. You need someone to pray for you. You need someone who will intercede for you so that you can release your anxiety to God and you can get clarity and you can get peace. So this is how we're going to close today. What I'm going to do is invite our prayer team to come up here real quick. So if our prayer team would come up to the stage and up in the balcony, and uh, we're going to give anyone an opportunity who would like to have some prayer to come up here and to receive some prayer, because some of you have some weighty decisions that are going on right now, and you've been pushing it off and pulling it aside or pushing it aside. And maybe today's the day where you're like, I need some prayer for this. And if you have a decision that you're trying to make or you're feeling anxiety in your world, then this is an opportunity for you to get some prayer. Now, for those of you that are on the stream, if uh, you need prayer, just type in right now. I need prayer. And one of our hosts will pray for you. And the reason we're bringing the lights down is because as Caleb and the band kind of closes us in this song, it talks about the love of God that is present and there for you and never goes away. And some of you, you've been coming through this uh, or to this whole series on Anxiety Island, but you're feeling anxious even this morning. And maybe what you need is some prayer to reduce that anxiety and to be able to make a healthier decision. The decision is weighty and you need someone to pray. So I actually have something in my life that I'm a little anxious about right now. And I'm going to be the first one to come down here and to get some prayer. And I would... Just challenge you, don't leave this place today if you're feeling anxious or you have a decision to make without getting some prayer. So I'm going to invite all of you to stand right now. Uh, So if you would, go ahead and stand. And again, for those of you on the stream, if you can just go ahead and uh, type in, I need prayer, one of our hosts will pray for you. And as we sing this song, if there's something in your life, I wouldn't leave from this place if I had a decision to make or if I was feeling anxious about something, I'd come and get some prayer. And so I'm going to do that right now, and then I'll stand up here for a little bit if uh, you need any prayer, and these folks would love to pray for you. So let's go ahead now and worship God together. And if you need prayer for something, just come on up. And to get some prayer or to ask someone if you're on the stream to pray for you as well.
1: friend. Closer than brother, there is no judgment, oh, you need forgiveness or healing. His mercy tonight. Oh, this is our home. The cost is low. What is Father, what is friend, what is Savior here? that are on our hearts, on our minds, those challenges, those struggles to you this morning. We just ask that you allow us to do so with courage, with strength, to not worry about how we're perceived, to not worry about what people think of us. Just allow us to freely give to you what we have inside of our hearts, the things that we're holding on to, the things that we're carrying, Father. So we pray in Jesus' name that you allow us to be authentic, to be confident in your spirit, to rest assured that your love is enough for us and that you do really love us, regardless of who we are, not who we have to be. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.